Shalom, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast, discovering the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And now, from beautiful Brandon, Florida, here are your hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome, welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. This is your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, right here on the Beit Tehillah Campus in Studio A in sunny Brandon, Florida, and I'm sitting next to Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. Shalom. Welcome, all you great listeners. We live in exciting times, I tell you. Uh, for those of you guys that are listening, as always, please like, subscribe, comment, leave a review, all that good stuff. If you're listening, go ahead and do that for me as a personal favor to me. I do take it very personally, and I greatly appreciate it. If you're listening on SoundCloud, there's a little heart button. I don't know what there is on iPhones and iTunes and all that stuff, but just whatever you got to do, do it for me. It helps me out. We are studying the Torah portion this week. I know, big surprise. Uh, we are Christians with Torah, and we believe that the Torah is relevant for today, and that Christian believers can uh, take the wisdom of the Torah and apply it to our lives uh, on a daily basis to help us walk out uh, the sanctification process that God has all of us in. And so today's Torah portion is called Naso, which means take or elevate. And it is from the book of Numbers, starting in chapter 4 and verse 21, and ending in chapter 7 and verse 89. Man, what cool stuff. So we're going to, uh, of course, uh, begin the work of the Gershonites and the Merorites in this particular portion of Naso, which is take. Uh, Numbers chapter 4, verses uh, 21 through 33. I'm going to get to read. I made an executive decision today. Wow. I'm going to get to read. So we have another reader in the room. Oh, yeah, because Ryan's got some good stuff to share in this portion that we're going to turn it over to him. So let's begin the public reading of scriptures. Remember, whatever you hear, you repeat. And whatever you, uh, of course, uh, speak comes towards you. So let's check this out. Uh, Numbers chapter 4, verse 21. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take also the sum of the sons of Gershon throughout the houses of their fathers, by their families, from thirty years old and upward until fifty years old, shalt thou number them, all that enter in to perform the service to do the work in the tabernacle of the congregation. Now this is the service of the families of the Gershonites, to serve and for burdens. And they shall bear the curtains of the tabernacle and the tabernacle of the congregation, his covering and the covering of the badger's skins that is above upon it and the hanging for the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the hangings of the court and the hanging for the door of the gate of the court, which is by the tabernacle and by the altar round about and their cords and all the instruments of their service and all that is made for them so shall they serve. At the appointment of Aaron and his sons shall be all the service of the sons of the Gershonites in all their burdens and in all their service, and ye shall appoint unto them in charge all their burdens. This is the service of the families of the sons of Gershon in the tabernacle of the congregation, and their charge shall be under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. As for the sons of Merari, Thou shalt number them after their families by the house of their fathers. From thirty years old and upward, even unto fifty years old, shalt thou number them, everyone that entereth into the service, to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. 
And this is the charge of their burden, according to all their service, in the tabernacle of the congregation, the boards of the tabernacle, and the bars thereof, and the pillars thereof, and sockets thereof, and the pillars of the court round about, and their sockets, and their pins, and their cords, with all their instruments, and with all their service, and by name ye shall reckon the instruments of the charge of their burden." This is the service of the families of the sons of Merari, according to all their service, in the tabernacle of the congregation, under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Wow. Check it out. So we're talking about the Gershonites, the Merarites. And uh, this is interesting, you know, it's just so relevant for today. Uh, so once again, the, the age... Uh, that the Levites uh, were able to serve uh, in the tabernacle was from the ages of 30 to 50, uh, from 30 to 50. Something very interesting um, is the fact that uh, this, this age is going to be dropped. It's, it's of, of course, actually found in Numbers 8, 24 through 26. It's going to be dropped down to 25. So now all of a sudden we have a, uh, a, little, a little change in the age group here. Uh, we've talked about this before. We need to reiterate this for those listening. Uh, it was dropped down to 25 and then, of course, to 50. 50 didn't change. Uh, that was the age of the retirement or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so once again, uh, to bring to your remembrance as well, uh, in First Chronicles chapter 23, verse 24, it's actually dropped down to the age of 20 by King David uh, as he divides up the priesthood into 24 divisions. Uh, very interesting uh, take on the ages. Uh, I do believe there was a really a great need. Now, now, how many of you are familiar with this particular uh, term, the law of first mention, or this saying, the law of first mention? So if we have to look at the law of first mention uh, in regards to the age of the priesthood, okay, we would have to say that Actually, uh, it begins at 30. So the law of first mention would be that you had to be 30 to, to serve in the priesthood. 30 to 50. Now, this is interesting because we're going to look at Luke chapter 3 in verse 23. Let's check out this law of first mention. Is it really actually working in the New Testament? Absolutely. Uh, it says here, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Hili, which was the son of Methot, and he goes into this whole genealogy of Jesus. So think about it, everybody. Yeshua began his ministry at 30. And here we have this law of first mention. The priesthood would begin when you were 30. They dropped the age down to 25, and then, of course, to 20 uh, in regards to King David. So this is interesting. You know, the Gershonites uh, are, are very special to me. Uh, because they were camped out with Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, the Gershonites, uh, the, the Gershon, the son. And so uh, he was in charge of the curtains, uh, of course, that uh, the curtains covering and badger skins of the tabernacle. So we would say that this particular ministry was in charge of all of the tapestry. And you know it was heavy and it had a lot you know, going on there. And it's funny how we at Beit Tehillah, we love the arts, we love tapestry. We have fabric everywhere. We've talked about this before. Just want to reiterate that. And so, uh, once again, we see the responsibilities of the Gershonites were the tapestry. And then, of course, the, uh, the sons of Merari, the Merarites is what we would call them. They were responsible for the boards, uh, uh, 
bars, pillars, sockets, etc. Basically, they were like Home Depot or Lowe's, you know, for, for boards, bars, pillars. And, uh, of course, we know the, uh, the, the numbers for these particular uh, families of the priesthood. Uh, Kohath had 2,750 from the ages of 30 to 50. Uh, Gershon had 2,630 from ages 30 to 50. And, of course, uh, Merari, the Merarites, had 3,200 from ages 30 to 50. So there, there was that going on there. So any thoughts on, on that, Ryan, as, we're, as uh, we're in Numbers chapter 4? Just that when we counted the Levites previously, we counted them from birth and up, and now we're counting the ones that uh, are eligible for uh, service, and that's the ones that are from 30 to 50. And so um, this is Levite specifically, not the priest. The priest age was from 30 to 50, and then obviously dropped down to 25, and then to 20, like, as you mentioned. Um, but I, just those are my, my casual observations. So, so some, th- some things to think about. We have some more subject matter we're going to get into. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get to read again. I'm going to read again. And you're, you're just doing it. Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. I, I, I don't really... I love to read. You're just, you know, I'm, just going I'm, all, all willy-nilly on a I love to read, everybody. This is incredible. You know, God's restoring back His Constitution, His Torah back to us. You've got to fall in love with the Torah, folks, I'm telling you. Um, and so here we go. And uh, this is the caption, Unclean People. Wow, right, how right. relevant is that? What a title for chapter 5 of Numbers. Uh, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper and everyone that hath an issue and whosoever is defiled by the dead. Both male and female shall ye put out without the camp shall ye put them that they defile not their camps in the midst whereof I dwell. (coughs) And the children of Israel did so and put them out without the camp as the Lord spake unto Moses. So did the children of Israel. Mm. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, When a man or woman shall commit any sin that men commit to do, a trespass against the Lord, and that person be guilty, then they shall confess their sin, which they have done. And he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof. And add unto it the fifth part thereof, and give it unto him against whom he hath trespassed. But if the man have no kinsman to recompense the trespass unto, let the trespass be recompensed unto the Lord, even to the priest, beside the ram of the atonement, whereby an atonement shall be made for him. And every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring unto the priest, shall be his. And every man's hallowed things shall be his. Whatsoever any man giveth the priest, it shall be his. So now, now we're going to get into some very interesting things now. Uh, as they begin to give out all these responsibilities, Ryan, to the priesthood, camps are set up. Now all of a sudden, uh, they're going to do a little uh, cleaning out. Uh, these are the three types of people that are to be put outside the camp. Uh, the leper, everyone that has an issue, and of course, whoever is defiled by the dead. 
you know. So uh, if it's everyone that has an issue, uh, that's going to be probably the whole congregation. Yeah. <laughs> I got issues. You got issues. Oh, yeah, I definitely have issues. But anyway, these are, uh, of course, liquid issues that we're talking about um, with with blood or whatever. But so anyway. So um, like a sore that's that's got, you know, that's yeah. infected or running. Oozing you know, or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very interesting what, what what's being taught here. You know, and, and this is the thing that I'm reminded. It's not what's going on on the outside. It's what's going on on the inside. Right. Uh, just like with leprosy, you're going to find out that it has a lot to do with pride being judgmental or accusatory. Uh, remember, you're going to see where Miriam comes against Moses and she gets struck with leprosy, you know. Right. Uh, King Uzziah pressed his way into the altar of incense and wanted to do the incense, and he, he was forbidden to do it. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, I could be wrong, but if I remember correctly, 80 priests tried to hold him back not to do it. Really, I only need a few to talk me out of something. This was a like 80 priests tried to stop him, and he did the incense anyway, and he broke out with leprosy, and he died a leper. So once again, it's what's really going on, on the inside that we need to really look at. Um, and and so here here everything is set up. There's like a there's like a, a tabernacle government or whatever you want to call it, church government set up here, uh, policies, procedures, and everything, which is really cool because you need that. Uh, here here's the question, Ryan: Is it possible that a person can be outside the camp today, even though they think they are in the camp? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say the, the first thing I would say is, is the watered down gospel is, um, is one of the pieces, uh, you know, Matthew seven, uh, chapter third or chapter, I'm sorry. Yeah. Matthew chapter seven, uh, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says this, it says, enter ye at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight gate, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And so he goes and talks about false prophets. And then in verse 21, he goes in to say, he says, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and then will i profess unto them i never knew you depart from me you worker of iniquity and that word and that word there for iniquity is actually lawlessness in the greek and so just imagine this i mean i i think that um there's many people out there that have been bought hook line and sinker this idea that i pray this prayer and then i've received salvation um, and when in fact the, the real thing here is that a relationship with Yeshua is salvation, it is intrinsically. And so, um, I do believe that there is a one-time event when you give your life to Christ, where you give your life to Messiah and say, I am deciding, um, to put my lot with you. And then there's fruit from there forward, right? Then, then God works you through a, a curriculum. But I do believe that people are deceived and I believe that the church that's today... A, that's a good point. Yeah. In that regard, yeah. But what I would like to, to recommend is this, okay. uh, in in regards to that's pretty much the outer court. If you think about where the altar is and the labor is, but but, oh, yeah. but Ryan, this is this is what I want to say. What if you could be part of a community but you're not willing to? What what's the excuse? So so if you choose to leave a community, and just sit at home, yeah, is that really being in the camp? I'm oh, just saying. No, obviously not. So, so what I'm submitting Wouldn't to you, Wouldn't that be by Ryan, definition putting but, yourself but, but, outside the but camp? But who wants to find that out too late? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. So, so in some places, there's isolated incidents where 
you know, there's a small home group. Yeah. But just like Bait to Heal it, we, we could probably fill up, we could have filled up a small stadium by now if those would have stayed. We could have grown into something really big and huge and branched. I've done a lot of good work I mean, work we're a mega kingdom. church in the Hebrew roots. No, but what I'm saying between you and I, yeah. I see where the deception lies. Oh, for sure. You know, I knew to, to go to church and submit. And, and submission is not some kind of hierarchy thing. Yeah. It means to get under and support. Yeah. So the cool thing that's happening right now is that, you know, uh, Beit Tehila is a camp and we're in the camp. And so we have to uh, have a healthy camp. You know, uh, it's funny how you look at policies and procedures and different things, Ryan. I took uh, Micah to his vacation Bible school class because he's a worker. Uh, he's going to be a worker like he's been doing for, for a few years since he's 12. Because uh, at 12, then you could be, be a worker. And they were going all over these policies and procedures and things, you know. And you just can't do what you want. You can't just come and go and, 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 and be a worker. You know, there's a standard, you know. And I think it's the same thing with, with, a, with, with a camp, uh, with a community. You know, you get more blessings from a community than being by yourself. You know, and that's the problem with Ephraim today. You know, it says that they would be wanderers among the nations in Hosea, one of the curses. They continue to walk in that curse, Ryan. Yeah. The orphan's heart, you know, because, you know, God God is giving us the corporate anointing, Ryan. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. My wife and I, being a part of this community, whether we're leading it or not, I love community. There's more good than bad in a community, bar none. If you had to take a two columns, pros and cons, there, there's there's going to be that for anybody, whether you're in a community or outside a community. But I tell you, the pros are much better for you to be in a community for than sure. outside a community. No doubt. As a matter of fact, they've even proven it. These are, these are public studies done at even Duke University or these universities. Uh, this was just a, 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 a study they did that those that go to church and are part of a community are healthier than those that are not. They, they actually documented it. Yeah. And even those that give and different things, they're healthier. So it's something to think about. This is all public records, people. You can look it up for yourself. Uh, I, I'm not making this up. So, so this is just something to think about as as we as we move forward, you know. And 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 all of a sudden now, as as we look at this, you know, um, we need to be thinking about okay, if we're going to be in the camp, uh, then we need to make sure that we don't trespass against one another. Because if you committed a trespass. Um, you had to pay back besides the principal, you know, one fifth, 20%. So just like if you're going to stay in the community, uh, you have to know how to treat one another and not hurt one another. And if you do, uh, there's of course the, the principal plus one fifth, which is 20% that has to be paid back. Now, as, as far as trespasses go, you can trespass each other or you can trespass God, you know? So if you think about it, if you trespass somebody, you know, they're going to get that 20%. Whatever, whatever, how that works. But let's say you trespass against God, it's going to go to the tabernacle, the priesthood, it goes to God. So it's just something to think about that you're saying that someone has value so much so that I'm going to make it right by principle and then 20%. And people can't even do 10% of a tithe. This is 20% on top of the principle. I mean, it's amazing how God has such a higher standard, Ryan, in his kingdom versus our own wicked nature or the culture. You know, and it's like the culture, they charge interest. You know, like I could transfer my, my little bit of credit card debt I have over and, and for six months. And then after that, the, the rate could actually go up to 24%. Wow. So it says like 6% to 24%. Wow, that's a broad scope of percentages there, you know? I would say so, yeah. So I looked at I just ripped it up through the trash. I said, you know, that's that's ridiculous. That's crazy. So once again, you know, as we move forward, we're, we're seeing where, where God is creating uh, a community 
uh, with the Torah that makes everything better. You know, I guarantee you could take the Torah today and use it uh, in the world, in the government. You know, there's actually some, some Jews now in Israel, they really believe that the Torah should be a part of their government. Torah should be in government. And it's a small grassroots movement, but it's something to think about. Yeah. Because it's coming. He's going to come. He's going to rule and reign. Uh, even in Isaiah, it says, and the word will go forth from Jerusalem. You know, uh, and so we, we can have this. Now, think about how this ties in, you know. So we have these Gershonites, Merites. They have these responsibilities. They have uh, these jobs. And then, of course, you know, we, we, we counted them. Uh, we have the Koath, Gershon, and Marari all working together around the camp there. We have, of course, uh, who's going outside the camp. It happens. You know, uh, but now, of course, we're going to be going into the law, law of jealousy. This is a fun one. Yeah, we can discuss this together, Ryan, the law of jealousy. You know, it, it, here's a great question. Did a man have the right to bring his wife before the priest if the man had the spirit of jealousy? Oh, yeah. Uh, Numbers chapter five. Proceed at your own risk, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so here we go. Here we go. You know, so the offering needed for a married woman accused of being unfaithful was a tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. Hmm. That was the offering needed for a married woman accused of being unfaithful was a tenth part of an ephah of barley. Now, once again, she's just accused. She has to bring right. this. Charges were made. Now we're getting into civil law here. We're getting into judicial laws here. Uh, and the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel. And of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. Okay, Numbers 5.17. Now the woman had to make an oath to the priest before drinking the water. Any thoughts on that, Ryan? That's a process. Oh, yeah. To the dust you shall return. So there's some dirt from the tabernacle going into some water. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to hurt you. It's like this concoction that God came up with. I mean, I, yeah, water this, and some dirt. Yeah, this whole thing sounds bizarre, right? I mean, on face value, I, I, I think that it's one of these, uh, you know, commands or, or processes that God gives um, that leaves you with with questions. Um, you know, like her her thigh rots and her belly swells if she's guilty, right? And so when that happens, um, if she were guilty, that's right. So if she's guilty, so then then this is almost a way of, of saying, hey, I'm going to prove yes or no. And that's the that's the groin area. That's you know. Yeah, I guess there uh, you go. I didn't. I didn't. You know. Your thigh and then your belly. Yeah. Remember the image in Daniel. Yeah. The Grecians. So it's that it's whole the thigh and bellies of brass. Yeah. So this is actually the the um, you know the uh, nether region. Whatever. <laughs> So, I mean, anyways, long story short here, this whole thing, you know, if she's not guilty, then, you know, then there's some, uh, some shame kind of put on him. Right. But if she is guilty, then the shame is put on her and then begs the question now that she has been proven to be an adulteress, does she fall under the normal laws of adultery for those that had, um, uh, you know, like, well, why don't you go ahead and read? Cause here's the thing. So is she guilty or not guilty is the question. Yeah. Uh, when we say her thigh would rot and her belly would swell, what kind of reference is this? What kind of saying is this? And if Ryan wants to read Numbers chapter 5, verse 28, um, this is actually what, it's, what it entails. It says, And if the woman uh, be not defiled but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. So she's going to get pregnant. Got it. But basically, if she's guilty, she won't be able to conceive. 
you know, we, we put this high standard on the woman or whatever, but you know, the, the woman is the bride and we are the bride, you know, it's like the woman caught in adultery. Where was the guy at? Yeah. You know, the me too movement wouldn't like any of this, but what I'm saying is that, and, I, and I'm only sharing this for those of you that are listening, God is trying to create divine order. You know, uh, I love what, what, what pastor Hector Gomez was sharing about a marriage. It's a King and a queen walking side by side, but each one knows their role. When you have divine order, everyone, the world's a better place. Ask any single mother what they would give to have a husband or a father for those kids. Because a single mother can't be a father. You're just a mother. It's just not going to happen. So there's the void. I always make a reference to, we can ride a bike with a flat tire. Yeah. But it's so much better to have air in both tires. I just use that as an example. We all know what it's like. But even my wife and I have experienced that when in our marriage and with our kids and stuff, when they have a, when the kids have a mom and a dad, okay, everything's better for them to even get a better start in life and to have a solid foundation and not to have these traumas or these voids, you know, from not having it, you know, and, 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 and I know what it's like. I know what it's like. And so, uh, we can see where God can reverse the curse. And so since my mother kind of abandoned us and everything wasn't really nurtured, you know, I suffer the consequences of that even today, but I'll tell you what, but now that I have my wife, who's an excellent mother to my children, all my kids get a, a, a better start in life. Yeah. They have a, a good foundation. They were nurtured. You know, uh, they were held. They were touched, you know, and, and they, they talk about uh, that's so important to a child to hug them and embrace them and just, you know, give them affirmations and, and just love on them, you know. And a lot of us didn't get that. And now we're, we're, we're scrambling to try to understand the father's love, uh, which is the key issue that we all deal with. You know, uh, and that's that's just where we're at. So this is an interesting situation, and we serve a jealous God. You know, um, we waste our time with stuff when we could be with Him. You know, we 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 just kind of, you know, go through the motions and not really invite our heavenly Father into our life or in a circumstance or situation. You know, and 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 get His heart on it. You know, just like uh, as the Jewish people are coming to Beit Tehila, I'm really praying, and the, and the Father's showing me to love them unconditionally, to show them mercy, respect, to respect Judaism, and He just really put that in my heart. I know it's the Father's heart. So when people are uh, anti-Semitic or abusive or whatever it is against the Jewish people that don't know the Son of God, Yeshua, I tend to think they do not have the Father's heart. Because even in Paul's letters, he makes reference to the Jewish people. They are the beloved. They are the, you know, the apple of his eye, you know, uh, and all these things that Paul would say, uh, even in regards to that, uh, you know, that because of the gospel, there's this, there's this friction between us. But uh, God knows that everything's going to work out in the end. It's all going to work out in the end. And also it even shares about, of course, we'll talk about this later, but how we're, we're grafted and we are to show mercy uh, to the Jewish people. And that's a great, great character trait to have in the times in which we live. So once again, the, the scriptures actually define themselves. They, they, they interpret themselves in reference to her thigh would rot, her belly would swell. Uh, basically, she would not be able to have children. And that, that brings me to another thought. You know, Saul had a daughter that, that David married, and David was dancing before the Lord, and they say in his birthday suit or a little whatever little outfit or whatever he had on, his underwear, he was dancing in his underwear, whatever it was. He was just praising God. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what they said. And uh, his wife noticed him from the balcony and really kind of just laid into him and, and was really uh, disappointed in him and said, how could you do that? And you embarrassed me and this and that. And you made, you're an embarrassment. And, and it says that she didn't bear children, Ryan. 
Ooh. So he, here's the lesson in that. Don't criticize somebody else's worship. Mm. You might see somebody running through the church. Paul Robinson from Jamaica. Yeah. You better not criticize it. Or Sherry you Orcutt. Might, you might see somebody uh, waving a flag or clapping their hands or jumping up and so down. Sometimes your feet you just gotta just move. You better back off you know? and say, you know, that is their worship. That's right. And you have no right to invade that That's or right. to have something to say about that. Just close your eyes, look forward, and you give your worship to God. Or how about praise God for their you worship? Know? I mean, how great is that? I mean, how free is that, though, yeah. to really to, to do that, in, 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 to be sincere about that? So so praise the Lord. So we're going to move on now, and uh, I'm, I'm going to read again. You are going to read again. I think wow. this is my last time to read. Because I'm getting ready to turn this thing over to Ryan. Uh, this is in regards to the Nazarite vow. I mean, you keep you're more than welcome to to join me and participate in the Nazarite vow. I just vow. feel like reading. Okay, go ahead. Thanks. Please. Numbers chapter six, verses one verses through eight. one through eight. The go. Nazarite vow. Here we go. Wow. You see the levels that we're going. Now we're climbing higher. We've established everything. We know what a trespass is. We, we've cleaned out the camp. And now we're going to take a Nazarite vow because we want more from God. We're going to give more. Oh, here we go. The Nazarite vow, chapter six, verse one. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation there shall no razor come upon his head, until the days be fulfilled, in the which he separated himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy, and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separated himself unto the Lord... He shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. Wow. Yeah. So here, here we go. Basically, this is the Nazarite vow, okay? Um, no grapes. No razor upon your head, and of course, no contact with a dead body. Now, a, a, a female or a, a male could take the Nazarite vow to separate themselves into the Lord with this particular vow. It's a Nazarite vow. Uh, no grapes, no razor upon your head, and no contact with a dead body. Uh, number six, seven says, He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother for his brother or for his sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. Yeah, wow. Um, and it also says uh, that if a person became defiled by coming into contact with a dead body while in the midst of fulfilling a Nazarite vow, that they would have to start over. So this was a um, this was a serious thing. Uh, it also had a whole uh, list of uh, offerings that you would bring as part of the Nazarite vow. So in, in order for it to be fulfilled, you would need a lamb of the first year without blemish for the burnt offering, uh, a ewe lamb 
uh, or a he lamb, I should say, for the first year without blemish for the burnt offering, a ewe lamb of the first year without blemish for a sin offering, a ram without blemish for a peace offering, and a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, and wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil, and uh, their meat offering and their drink offerings. You know, real quickly, Ryan, this particular set of sacrifices is very interesting because this is when the vow was fulfilled, Ryan. So think about, it's like right. setting goals. So let's say you set a heavenly goal for yourself with God, like a goal. You set a goal. You know, well, when you achieve that goal or that vow, you have a peace offering here. You get to eat it. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a celebration a dinner because you did it. Yeah. You know, it, it's almost like, you know, let's just say, hey, you know, we vow to take in every, you know, Orthodox Jew that comes to Beit Tehillah or something, or we vow to open the doors to to all those that God has. And we have this big, big vow, you know, and we, we're just committed to that. And then we do it and it comes to pass. I mean, we could have a little, like a holy barbecue. We totally could. We could do a peace offering, you know, and so that's interesting. So th- think about that, Ryan. That's, that's, the, that's, that's really cool, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, Beit Tehillah has really... Uh, uh, move forward in, th- in that regard to, to actually get some things done and change our mindset, you know, think outside the box and be open to God. Yeah, it also says here, uh, interestingly enough in verse 18, that the hair from a person that fulfilled the Nazarite vow was put in the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. So as part of the peace offering, you take the hair that you've grown out all this time because uh, part of a, a Nazarite vow is, and usually they when they say they start over, that usually they shave your head at the beginning and then you grow out your hair. Uh, until the end of the vow. And then at the end, you cut your hair again, and then that hair is, is, is part of the sacrifice. So it's all, all pretty cool. So here's the question for you, Pastor Nick. Do you know of any famous folks in the Bible that took Nazarite vows? Anybody? Or helped pay for them? Oh, oh we're going in Old Testament first. We're going oh, Old- I like what you did with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll tell you what comes to my mind is Samson. Samson, you this know what? This guy, yeah, he brought the house down. You would be correct. It is in Judges chapter 13 and verse 5. Um, this is the miraculous birth of Samson is the little title in my King James Bible here. And it says, For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told he me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now, and now drink no wine, nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So, in other words, uh, most people take a Nazarite vow for a period of time. But uh, this angel of God came to Samson's mother and basically prescribed that he was going to be a Nazarite for his entire life. Now, if you know the story of Samson, you know the story of Samson is a rough story, right? He's to deliver Israel from the Philistines, which he does in part, um, through his, his, his final acts. But, uh, what ultimately ends up happening is he gets tricked and he ends up drinking grape juice, right? Or, or wine. So, so he has, uh, that's the first part of his vow that's broken. Uh, and remember, normally somebody could just start over, but how do you start your life over, right? At this point. So he's broken the vow, uh, from one of the qualifications. Then the next thing is, uh, you know, two, two things, right? Cause you can't, um, 
you can't uh, defile yourself with a, the carcass of a, of a dead, unclean animal, and you can't defile yourself with a dead body. Well, both things end up happening to him, right? So he uh, is defiled by eating the honey out of the lion's carcass. Is that right? Absolutely. Yep. And then uh, he also, um, you know, made a uh, basically a wager in order to be able to save his his prospective bride or his bride uh, from uh, an evil ruler. And he had to go get some tunics, and they wouldn't give him the tunics, so he ended up, you know, in a fight. Ended up killing all thirty of those guys, I think it was. And in the end of that, ends up um, having nobody to take the tunics off of these men. So Good he point. he ends up having to touch the men yep. and remove their tunics. So uh, that's number two, or two and three, I guess we could say. And then the last one was no razor upon his head, and so. Uh, God has filled him with his spirit and given him strength unlike no other man that's ever lived before him. And Samson is able to have great victories in battle, even when by himself, one occasion, even killing a thousand of the enemy of the Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've seen a couple movies that that kind of portray that scene of a thousand people coming at Samson, and he's got the jawbone of a donkey. So just imagine... I mean, he's just like knocking them down left and right, right? I mean, a thousand people. Um, you know, it, it's it's a pretty fantastic story. So, uh, in the end, it's a woman, uh, and I'm not going to say anything negative about women, but just know that that women somehow uh, have this special power that God gives them over men, and uh, she ends up talking him into telling her his secret. She's a Philistine woman that he ends up marrying. Mistake number one, right? Um, and at the end, cuts his hair. Uh, loses his strength. So the Spirit of God leaves him. He ends up being captured by the Philistines. They poke his eyes out. They torture him. They throw him in prison uh, until finally Samson redeems himself by uh, getting the power of God one more time and taking down the rulers of the Philistines with him by breaking he the He killed pillars. more people at that time than he did his whole life. So Really? That was something to be, to be known as far as the... Uh, of the of the count, yeah. Absolutely. So Samson's story is is is. And he's uh, the last judge. Well, and it's a it's it's a it, you know listen it's a it's a, a relevant story in the Bible, but but I think there's another story that regarding the Nazarite vow. Yeah. Can you show me that in the New Testament? I can show you the New Testament. That's my famous saying from people, Pastor Nick. This is all well and good, but can you show me that in the New Testament? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Is usually the answer, right? Proceed. So. In chapter 21 of the book of Acts, starting at verse 17, I'm just going to read a little story to you guys, uh, and then I'm going to kind of unpack it for you. It says here, starting at verse 17, it says, And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous for the law. And they are informed of thee, that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it, therefore, the multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come? Do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have, vow, which have a vow on them. Them take, and purify thyself with them, 
and be at charges with them, and they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things whereof they have or were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keep the law. Very interesting story here, right? And then goes on talking about, you know... Go ahead and read 25 and 26. Okay, and as touching the Gentiles, uh, which believe we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men and the next day purifying himself with them entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. So essentially what's happening here is uh, Paul has come to back to Jerusalem. So he's been off on a missionary journey. He's come back. James and all the elders are there. James is the leader of the, the Christian church in Jerusalem at this point. And everybody's been accusing Paul of what? What have they been accusing Paul of, Pastor Nick? He has forsaken the Torah, spoke against the temple. That he is basically saying that we don't, as Christians, need to observe the commands of God as prescribed in what we call the quote-unquote Old Testament. And so them knowing Paul and listening to his testimony and knowing Paul very well say, you know what, here's what we're going to do in order to satisfy the critics. Because we know that you keep the Torah and we know that you love God and that you're zealous for his law. We're going to prescribe for you to go ahead and do this Nazarite vow with some other guys that we have a vow. And so they say, hey, why don't you uh, do this vow with them? And then everyone will know that yeah. you also keep and the Torah. And prove the naysayers wrong. You, you know, Ryan, that's the mistake that a lot of Christian commentary has made. Oh, yeah. I mean, if Paul was sent to the Gentiles, he's the apostle. He would teach them everything he knows. Well, in my you little, know? you know, it's funny, too. I almost feel like... Because hold that thought. Because here's the thing, Ryan, when I even read some of these commentaries, they're saying, well, Paul had to do these things because he was Jewish, but the Christians don't have to do these things. Right. So that's how they do the commentary. When you're hearing about the book of Acts or you're reading his letters, it's almost like, you know, there's a double standard. I don't think Paul was a hypocrite. I think Paul kept Torah. Well, there, so first off... There's no doubt Paul kept Torah. Paul kept Torah so much that he, when he came to Jerusalem, in order to prove to the naysayers that he keeps Torah, did the Nazarite vow with these other men. So, um, you know, that's that's Paul's own actions, and and you know, let the Bible and the Scripture speak for itself. I think that uh, you know people try to to accuse Paul of certain things, and I think Paul's probably up in heaven, like you know. And when they get to heaven and they've said all these things about Paul, Paul probably sets them straight, I'm thinking. You know, like, hey, listen. Um, uh, what a great example. He, he's like, welcome. Thanks for getting here. Um, let, can, can I talk to you for a second? Can we just, he puts his arm around him. I can see yeah. him. Let's have a little conversation. So right. remember all that stuff you said about me? Yeah, I didn't, that wasn't me. You know, this is happening all over again, Ryan. The, 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 the Jews are coming to the Gentiles. You know, even uh, Miss Ruth, uh, who heads up our prayer, said we watched the uh, Book of Acts uh, for our New Moon service, chapters 1 through 12, incredible movie. I think it came out like a 1994 word for word out of the scriptures. But anyway, uh, to make a long story short, so so here's Cornelius, you know, waiting for Peter to come to him. He's got, he's a great man of God. He's a righteous Gentile. He's a Roman centurion, whatever. And here comes Peter, right? Here comes Peter hopping down the trail. Peter Cottontail? No, it ain't no Peter Cottontail. So I'm just saying that here we have the book of Acts playing out all over again, Ryan. Oh, yeah. The Jews are coming to the Gentiles, okay? And there's this relationship, you know? And, and of course, what, what's happening? Peter needs a vision. 
you know, uh, Eliezer has been having dreams about the Christians. Oh yeah. And now he's putting it all together. Uh, Eliezer who lives in Israel. Uh, so, so my thing is, this is like happening all over again, the book of Acts, this reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles. It's incredible. It is a beautiful thing, everyone. And if you overthink it, you're going to miss it. You're going to totally miss it. So, so we're going to move on here. And, and the cool thing is, uh, as we elevate even higher and get closer to God, because that is what he really desires and wants, but it's got to be something that's within you that you want, that you desire the holiness. But we're going to go ahead and, uh, as we begin to look at chapter six, uh, we also have and, and and Ryan, what do you think about? It? Can you can you th- think you could sing the ironic blessing? Ooh! Because here here's what I'm going to do. Since we are speaking to the children of Israel on this podcast, hopefully that are grafted in both Jews and non-Jews, natural branches, wild branches. You know, I think it's only fair. Uh, Ryan's a great singer, great worship leader, and uh, <laughs> I would like to share that gift with everyone in podcast land. Oh, man, that's for so sweet For all of you, because the children of Israel are scattered throughout, so I hope you're, you're riding in your car, you're sitting at home, and you're about ready to get a blessing. But here's what the verses say. Uh, it says in Numbers 6, chapter 23 to 27, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will Bless them. So Ryan's going to sing this priestly blessing and give it to you and uh, receive it. Ah, uh, yes, I guess I'm going to sing it now. <laughs> you can what, hit that note. Adonai, <laughs> Isadonai panavelecha beyasemlecha shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Wow. Isn't that the coolest thing, you know, because God loves his children because they're holy children to him. You're holy. You're good enough. And and it just gets better and better and better, Ryan, as we just, just come closer to God and, and, and want to give back to him. He shows us how to give and different things. So as we get into, of course, Numbers uh, chapter seven, we're going to get into the gifts of the 12 princes. Wow. Now all this is set up. You got some great leadership. Things are delegated. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and of course, we go right into the gifts of the 12 princes. There's going to be a lot of verses in here. If I'm not mistaken, chapter 7 has 89 verses. So that's a lot of verses in giving from the 12 tribes and their, and their uh, tribal leaders. Oh, it certainly is. Uh, they, of course, they, they brought their offering to Moses. The tribal leaders of Israel, they brought their offering to Moses. And so with that, uh, he, he divided among the Levites. This is what Moses did. He had two wagons, four oxen that he gave to the sons of Gershon. Remember, the Gershonites had to have all this tapestry so they could put it on wagons, Ryan. You know, and uh, four wagons and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, who, of course, carried the pillars and the bars and the sockets and all the things from Home Depot, 
you know, all those kind of things, uh, hardware. Uh, but of course, the, the, the Kohathites, the sons of Kohath, didn't get anything. Uh, they had to bear upon their shoulders the furniture of the tabernacle. Which I thought was interesting. The ones that are actually carrying the furniture don't get the moving they truck. They don't get the moving truck. Yeah. Yeah, they got to carry it. So you could imagine that. Uh, of course, you guys remember the story about they put the ark on a cart and somebody went out, reached it and touched it. And got zapped and lost his life because what? They didn't follow protocol. The the ark is to be carried, not on a cart. Uh, and of course, uh, on the day that the altar was anointed, the tribal leaders, uh, they wanted to give an offering for the altar's dedication. And that's what they did. Uh, once again, once the altar was anointed, uh, they wanted to uh, give an offering for the altar's dedication. Now, as we begin to look at Numbers chapter 7, verses 10 through 88, this is what each tribal leader brought representing each of these 12 tribes. There was one silver charger, one silver bowl, fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one spoon of 10 shekels of gold full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, for sacrifice of peace offerings, there was two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. So once again, this is what we're seeing from these 12 tribes. And they are, of course, uh, listed uh, below in the day in which they brought their offerings for the, for the 12 days. Is it like the 12 days of Christmas? <laughs> is there a 12 days of Christmas? Or is it, how many days is it? It's 12 days. It is 12 Man, days. Man, you're so disconnected from Christmas. You don't even... I know. I just don't remember. <laughs> but here it is. So here's the 12 days of the tribes. So day one was Judah. Day two was Issachar, bringing their offerings. Uh, day three was Zebulun. Day four was Reuben. Day five was Simeon. Day six was Gad. Day seven was Ephraim. Day eight was Manasseh. Day nine was Benjamin. Uh, day 10 was Dan, uh, day 11 was Asher, and day uh, 12 is actually Naphtali, and here we have it, you know. And, and so once again, um, as we begin to see this, Ryan, here, here's a good question and discussion. Why is giving and responsibilities higher for those in leadership? Just what do you think? Well, why is giving and responsibilities higher for those in leadership? So, I mean, let's just look at... Um, as, as you move up the, the ranks, so to speak, right? You have the nations, then you have Israel, right? A whole nation of, of quote-unquote priests. And then you have the Levites, and then you have the priests, and then you have uh, the high priest. And so there's, there's different levels. And as you move up, you'll notice that as we're reading about the, the Levites and the priests and their responsibilities, there's more responsibility on them. And it's because they represent God. Um, and they've been given more to do for God. And so to whom much is given, much is required. And one other thought on that um, was, uh, in, what is it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 20. It says this, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Here's what Paul's saying. Uh, if you're a believer, then you represent Yeshua. Period. End of story. The question is not whether or not you're an ambassador for Christ. The question is, are you a good ambassador? And ambassadors, as you know, or, or, or may or may not know, they represent heads of state, right? So when the ambassador for Israel comes here, he represents Israel. And our ambassador to Israel represents the United States and the United States' interest to Israel, back and forth. And same thing with any country that we have an ambassador to. 
And so to that end, uh, you can look at this and think, wow, so I'm on a mission as an ambassador for Christ. And it's important that I take my responsibilities seriously to be above reproach and to represent him well. They say that, yeah, First and Second Timothy and Titus are called like the uh, pastoral epistles or, or pastoral letters uh, in requiring of, of leadership. Uh, one of the things required of an elder is that you have a good report outside the church. Ooh. Boy, that could be a tough road. So, be. so once again, uh, the responsibilities are higher for those in leadership, and, and so is the giving. You know, my wife and I, we tithe, we give offerings to the guest speakers and things, you know, uh, because we have to set that example, you know, and that's the thing that we need to remember uh, just as well. And, and so with that, we, of course, have the 12 tribes, Ryan, and I'm going to give some references, but this is another uh, great discussion that we can all have. Um, with the example of the 12 tribes, how is the house of Israel made up of Jews and Gentiles, right? And so I'm going to just give you two references uh, to think about. Because with that comes the right action, everyone. Notice in the Torah, it says, speak to the children of Israel. Speak to the children of Israel. Speak to the children of Israel. Mm. That's why he's not speaking to the Methodists or the Baptists or the Pentecostals, okay? He's not speaking to them. Because once you've made the change, once, once your, your identity has been changed uh, to Israel, to being grafted in, it's Romans 11, 13 to 36, and of course in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, is, is verses 11 to 22, in regards to the commonwealth of Israel, okay? So uh, even on the Land of Israel network, they are actually saying on there, even Yeshai Fleischer and Rabbi Mike Foyer and all these guys, um, they're making reference to the fact that, hey, listen, uh, if you're Druze or you're, you know, whatever, Christians or and you're in Israel and you support the Jewish people and you love the nation of Israel, you love the state of Israel and you're there as a, you know, a law abiding citizen to that degree. He's like, you're part of Israel. That's what they're saying. You know, if oh, you yeah. don't bring us harm, if you don't hurt us and you help us and you're with us and you live in the land with us, they're actually saying you, you're a part of, of this, of this, of Israel. Yeah. And that's a great step forward from a righteous Gentile to, hey, you're a part of the commonwealth of Israel, you know, and even the stranger who keeps the Torah, we're going to look at even, I believe next week, uh, is is welcome into the fold. Yeah. You know, and just to, I mean, just looking at the 12 tribes, right? Um, the, the, the Jewish people, the word Jew, right, comes from Judah, the tribe, uh, and the word, or the, the region Judea. And so when we look at once the, the kingdom split, you have the southern kingdom of Judea, which is the Jewish people, and, and it's predominantly made up of the tribes of uh, Judah and Benjamin, or the people are predominantly descendant from Judah and Benjamin. The northern kingdom, which is the rest of the tribes, is called the house of Israel or Ephraim. And so what happens here is now when you read the rest of the Bible, as just a evangelical Christian, you're going through it and you're seeing Judah and Israel, Judah and Israel, Judah and Israel. You kind of just blow past it and you don't even really think, why is it saying Judah and Israel instead of just Israel or just the Jews? Well, but we've always kind of just allocated that, those titles to the Jewish people as a whole, not really understanding what we're saying. When in fact, when you see Israel paired up with Judah, the word Israel there is meant not the Jews. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a tough way uh, to say it. And it's not an anti-Semitic statement to say that when you see Israel or the term Israel in the Bible after first Kings and, and forward, Israel is trying to show you that this is not the Jews. This is the rest of the tribes, the Northern kingdom, the Northern kingdom. And so, you know, you kind of have to look at each, each instance in context to make sure that you understand which people group they're talking about there. But when you see Judah and Ephraim or Judah and Israel paired together in a sentence, there's Judah, the Jewish people, the people of Judea, 
the Judeans, and Israel, the northern kingdom. And that's just one example to show you that the house of Israel is not just the Jews. Uh, and I think that's, you know, just a, maybe it's a syntax thing, maybe it's just titles, but it's important that we understand biblical history and that we understand who these people are. And I know Pastor Nick's going to get it probably into Romans and Ephesians, but... No, but the, but the thing is, I want to encourage all of you that are listening, you know, you have an inheritance. Yeah. And this is the podcast, if I could leave you with anything, how far do you want to go with God? Right. If I said to you, okay, I'm like the state attorney or the estate attorney, not the state attorney, but I'm, I'm, I have, I'm the estate attorney. I have an estate that I want to share with you. I'm knocking on the door. Uh, Mr. Cabrera, uh, I'm an the estate executor. attorney. The, the executor, executor of, of the, the will or whatever of the estate, of the, estate yeah. the executor of the estate. I said, uh, Mr. Cabrera, listen, I have here a document that says that you and your family could actually uh, have land in Israel and be in the land of Israel and live there. Uh, w- would you be interested? Yes, please. See, he's interested. So here's the thing, everyone. Why wouldn't you be? If you're the seed of Abraham and you're in Christ, which is in Galatians, right? It, it says the first thing promised to Abraham was land. So if you're not even interested in the land, you like forfeiting your land to me. Okay, hang on. Thank let me, you. Let me, I just, the plumbers and Cabreras will take your land. First off, yes to that. But let me just get this straight. So you're saying Galatians 3.29 says that those that are in Christ are the seed of Abraham. And heirs according to the promise. And heirs according to the promise. But then the promise given to Abraham was land? Absolutely. Let me pull out my big fat three Legos. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. I wait, have wait. three big fat Legos. This can't you know, be real. When Ryan goes to video. All this time. See, Bible, I, land, and people are all synonymous. I have, three I have Legos complained. Here. Bible, land, and people are all synonymous, Ryan. So let's just take Bible. Okay, I read my Bible. That's great. But what about the land? What about the land? What about the people in the Bible? Okay, <laughs> so here we have it. So you can't take one without the other. It's all. It's all. It's all in the. It's all in the. The kitty. I'm excited about this because like I can't. Like I don't have like a rich uncle, or a rich grandparent, or anybody leaving me any inheritance of any sort. I mean, it, I'm on my own, and my my you don't Abba know that. in heaven. I mean, uh, you're right. I don't know that. Maybe one could come out of the woodwork, but. Um, I'm pretty sure that the relatives that come out of the woodwork are the ones that come out when you make it big. <laughs> right. So, so I know all of you listening to this podcast, some of you have been to Israel, some of you have not. But if you truly desire to want to be in Israel or live in Israel or whatever, praise God, nurture that. Thank God for it. You know, my, my first experience, I know we're, we're, we're going a little over here, but, but my first experience with the land, Ryan, was that I, I was at the beach. I went to this bookstore and I went over to the travel section and the Holy Spirit was like telling me to buy this book, this tour book to, to go to Israel. It was about the land of Israel. And I still have the book to this day, copyrighted or published in 1992. Wow. No, I didn't go to Israel until 1996. But I'm saying that he planted a seed. He said, you're going to go to Israel. I'm going to put the right people in your life, and you're going to go to the land. So I've been seven times, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. So as, as, we, as we move forward, as we really look at this thing with leadership as well, Moses was a great leader, bar none. He was a great leader. In Numbers chapter 7, verse 89, this is the very last verse. Ryan, why don't you go ahead and read that, because I know you didn't get to do much reading today. At all. I mean, that's okay. But can you read number 789? Now check this out. What great leadership is this? It says, And when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from the mercy seat that was upon the ark of of testimony, from between the two cherubims. And he spake unto him. So the leadership has to hear from God, Ryan. And, And when I say on this podcast or to our community, my wife and I talk, my kids, you know, God is, 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 is having us to love the Israel, love the Jewish people, 
uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you know, open up our doors to Judah, you know, and, and I would say, thus saith the Lord, Ryan, I would say that this is of God. And if people don't believe that or want to take it, that's fine. I respect that as well, but I, I fear God and I'm going to keep his commandments. And, and so with that, you know, what an incredible thing that God, God spoke to Moses and Moses would speak to the people. And, you know, how can you not trust him? How can you not believe in Moses? You yeah. know, and, and, and I don't have time to get into it, Ryan, but it says actually that God's going to raise up shepherds after his own heart in these last days, Ryan, you know, and, and, and I believe the leadership of Beit Tehillah is hearing the voice of God, uh, all the way down, you know, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without that. So, so in closing, let's think about this, you know, what two lessons can be learned from the Torah portion Nassau or take in numbers chapter four, verses 21 through chapter seven of verse 89, Ryan, what do you have for us from a consensus of your group last night? Uh, what, what two things really stand out in this particular portion that can, be relevant for today. So our two representatives last night um, were Jeremy McDonald and Laisha McDonald, his daughter, and and we had a great group last night. Let me just say, like, I mean, our group. I don't is think the, you've ever had a bad. Group. Our group is the best group every week. You know, fantastic people, just love them, love them. Oh, absolutely great people. Um, anyway, so Jeremy, uh, what struck him was about uh, responsibilities being higher for leadership and, and giving being higher for leadership. And he talked about, you know, being an ambassador for Christ, which I already read the verse. Um, and then Laisha uh, paired up with him. And then her thing was, was pretty profound as well. And this is what I want everybody to take home from this whole Nazarite vow thing. And this is it. Paul took a Nazarite vow to prove that the Torah is relevant for today. Wow. And so if he did all that Woo! in order to show us that the, the Torah is still relevant uh, and that it's even more relevant with Yeshua. I mean, the greatest rabbi, the greatest Torah teacher ever to walk the face of the earth, God himself, the author of the Torah, came here to teach us, and and, and yet somehow we want to throw it away. Uh, no thanks. I'm going to jump on Paul's bandwagon and, uh, and, and, and scream it from the rooftop. So before we leave, and I know we're over an hour here now, um, and I do appreciate you guys hanging with us, those of you that are. Um, we are counting the Omer still, and we are at day 45. So let's uh, let's go ahead and say the blessing. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitchenu, B'mitzvotav, V'tzivanu, Al Sifirat HaOmer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, whose commandments add holiness to our lives and gives us the command to count the Omer. Today is 45 days, which is six weeks and three days of the counting of the Omer. Once again, this is found in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 and 16. Get yourself a blessing and count the Omer. That's right. And this coming uh, Sunday is the Feast of Shavuot. So get on board, uh, jump in there. Uh, God's calendar is awesome. God's feast days are awesome. And what a blessing it is uh, to have the revelation of his feast days and to be able to celebrate things with him uh, and his appointed times. And so, guys, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, and share and do all that good stuff with our podcast this week. Um, I'll be taking notes on who did and uh, maybe giving them a special treat. We'll see. And uh, also to uh, all of you who need anything from us, you can email me at ryan at twopraise.net. Or if you just want to tell me something, comment, whatever, you know, kind of keep it on the backside. Uh, I love to hear from you guys. Love emailing back and forth. So go ahead and do that. And then uh, if you need to call the office, 813-654-2222. 
And uh, don't forget to live stream our services every Shabbat at 11. That's Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at twopraise.net and any of our social media platforms. God bless you guys. Have a great week.